Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're back off our holidays, we're interested in gaming, we've been reading books, we've been buying stuff, we've been talking about things. How are you Barry, how are you doing? I'm suntanned and gorgeous mate. I've been in uh, I've been in Devon for a couple of weeks and I've been reading loads of stuff and uh, playing loads of games and thinking about conventions for the autumn and um, all my packing was role playing books plus pants, that's it. That sounds awesome. I'm not even sure you needed the pants, to be honest. No. But, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there, so that's good. Okay, so role-playing books. Interesting you should mention that, because I've been thinking recently about role-playing books and what do we need out of them. Rule books are full of stuff. You've got your rules, and you've got directions on play, and you've probably got mountains of background, or maybe not. Maybe it's just a pamphlet or two sides of A4. But what do you want, is a rather broad question to get you going, Baz. What do you want from your role-playing book? What should it be delivering to you? Uh, okay, so, yeah, good question, mate. Um, I think, for me, given that I'm probably going to be GMing it nine times out of ten, I think its main job is to get me excited about the game it's presenting to me so that I can then go and present it to players. And sounds that sound, sounds obvious, doesn't it? Sounds really, mm. really obvious, but a lot of games fall at that hurdle for me. Yeah, well, do you think... I mean, it must be that other people because everybody's different want different things from their books then but uh, let's pick something like Legend of the Burning Sands or even Legend of the Five Rings or that kind of ilk Mm -hmm. Uh, massive massive stacks of text that come up at the front like loads of background and history and stuff like that which some people seem to enjoy now is that is that getting your juices flowing do you want that kind of stuff first or do you want you know do you want to jump into some cool rules first or just want to praise you about what it's about or some character archetypes or something like that you know um i mean i personally don't really get on without that like wall of text anymore i think i used mm. to back in the 90s i read earth dawn and books of a similar you know voraciously yeah but these days when the background chapter is kind of 60 pages i've already lost interest how about you yeah similar uh, perhaps not surprisingly there was definitely a time when i like to get sort of deep into my book and uh, you know there's been a couple of game lines over the years where I've gone mad and bought every single supplement and uh, you know you stick them together on a shelf and it'd be like 18 inches of Earth Dawn which is a good title for any podcast and uh, and, and, and enjoyed a lot of it uh, but kind of read it more as a bloody challenge than actually inspiration I'd be hard pressed to tell you what was in those books now and even more hard pressed to tell you how much stuff actually came out at the table so I think as time has gone on what I'm after is a really good read to play ratio and whereas back in the day I was probably happy to read a campaign guide for some world thinking that I would probably mine it for some scenarios or even if I didn't play the game as presented maybe I'd nick something from the system or just in case well looking back 20-30 years later those books never really come back off the shelf if I'm honest mm. So if it's like read-to-play ratio, I'm more interested in stuff that's actually going to get some action around the table. Or if I just want to do a bit of design work off the back of it, maybe a bit of a hack just for my own interest, or just generate a few characters. You know, that kind of solo fun that games still have. I'm cool with that. I still consider that to be of some value. But the chances are these days it's not going to be from... Uh, I'll pick a more a modern example to go with yours, uh, Simbaroon, which is you know kind of all the rage. Um, big Scandinavian RPG, fairly trad, big glossy book, loads of art, loads of writing, big chunk of setting, big chunk of system, big chunk of advice, pretty trad in its outlook. I just find that kind of stuff hard work now. And, and I'm sure that um, if I sat down to play it and someone else was prepared to do the heavy lifting... I really enjoyed the game because I'm sure there's some great stuff in there but it doesn't get me thinking I must get the guys together next Friday night to play it because it looks like effort and I'm a bit more time poor than I used to be yeah I know what you're saying so how about um, a nice bit of game fiction then I'm going to take it back to the 90s I just don't care but <laughs> at the start of Earth Dawn, there was um, uh, basically a little bit of a short story about some adventurers that had gone into this care and a horror that got them and screwed them right up and started off with something like the phrase of um, Loin was an unhappy troll. Yeah. This picture of a big troll with their, his curled, gnarled horns and this big axe in his hand and all the rest of it. And I read that little story, and that got me well excited about the rest of the book. And the rest of the background arguably didn't as much. I found bits to pick out of it, but 
you know, four or five pages of a cool story about a party of adventurers in that adventuring setting and what they got up to and how it all went wrong, I thought was a really good start to a roleplay book. Have you seen any of that recently? Or, you know, as opposed to just like dry text about 1,000 years ago, the queen of this place was such a body uh, and elves are a bit like this. Have you actually just read a story and gone like, that's cool. That's basically an example of play, but written in a fictional form. Yeah, bits and pieces and, and in funny places too. See, I, I, I like my fiction too, but I like it at, um, at quite a small scale these days. So like you, I, I thought the intro story in Earth Dawn was probably what grabbed me. And I would still point people to that. I'm sure you can get it online because it is only a few pages long. If they wanted to know what Earth Dawn was about, I'd say read that. Only take you 10, 15 minutes probably. And, mm-hmm. and it gives you what you need to know. Um, on the other side, I would probably never have recommended any of the White Wolf games from back in the day with the Old World of Darkness because their yeah, initial story enough. went on and on and, and, and often broke broke the rules of the game that followed. <laughs> yeah. Games Workshop's novels were, were always classic for that and the D&D novels were even worse. It's like the, the author they bought in to get the stuff done had clearly never actually encountered the game at all and just gone with the brand and, you know, just bizarro stuff. But anyway... Uh, to, to answer your question directly, there's there's some fantastic, fantastic writing in 13th Age, which doesn't have any sort of chapter openings with short stories or anything else like that. But it has the little sort of sidebar quotes you see in lots of games. They're always really interesting. And it just puts cool little creative bits in funny places, like there's bits in the equipment charts. Um for which I now can't think of a single example, but you've got your basic equipment like swords and sticks and ropes and the rest of it. But there's a couple of little entries in the bottom of every one which are just, just there to be creative. And they give you a hint of the setting. And, and then later on when you read a spell, you just see an extra little tact online. It's just full of fun. So, uh, and that extends into some of the other published works they've done, like Eyes of the Stone Thief, which is their mega dungeon. And I've read so many mega dungeons by now. I don't even know why I bought it, but I'm glad I did because it stands up as a read um, and it's written with such verve and vibrancy and a fresh look at an old classic that when they talk about the stuff that has happened in there, it's just, that's great. I want to give it a go myself and see what happens. And then on the flip side of that, I suppose my favourite fiction is sometimes the text on a card. I consider it all to be sort of role play stuff, really. Um, yeah, but sometimes you can get a sentence off a netrunner card, which I just think is mentally good. Uh, Princess Space Kitten is one of my favourite characters, <laughs> and no one knows what she looks like or has stats or anything else like that. It's just great. Yeah, you know, that, that's the sort of stuff I like, mate. Yeah, well, I'd get the next pack of netrunner, and you'll see what Princess Space Kitten looks like, or an avatar at least. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, so that's good. Um, yeah, I kind of agree, and I'm going to bring up another classic because I'm in old retro mode at the minute, but. Cults of Prax for RuneQuest. If you read through that, it's basically a book of different gods and deities within the setting um, that you can worship. And it's got it's got all the usual stuff like rules for the you know mm. what spells you get and what cut price training you can get for your cult abilities and all this kind of nonsense. But throughout Threaded is kind of a half page on each section, and it's a, a traveling merchant who's going around Prax and visiting these different things, and it's his encounter with um, a representative or a, a group that belong to each of these different cults and how, he's in, how he interacts with them and how they behave when he's around. Mm. And some of them are doing particular religious rites. Uh, there's a duel going on in one. One's a big merchant camp and stuff like that. But that kind of really helped cement what it was about. Um, a bit later, sort of RuneQuest 3 time, they brought out Gods of Glorantha, which had like 60 gods in or something like that. It had like five times as many with loads more stats and spells and options and things like that. But it was just such a dull book by comparison because it didn't have that kind of narrative woven through it and the this is how this thing interacts with the game world that you're in or that you're going to play with. Or Each of those little stories, crucially, was gameable. So you thought, like, yeah, I can set that up as a scenario or a scene in the next session that I run. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the, the difference between what you were saying with like White Wolf compared to some other games is that the White Wolf, certainly from what I experienced, tended to be like, here's a cool story about some key characters that you're never going to be as good as, as opposed to the more old school stuff, which is like, here's a thing that your adventurers might do. And I think that was the key difference. And that's one of my big pluses and things I want to see from real books, actually, in role-playing games, is gameable ideas. It's things that you read and immediately think, 
how can I implement that in my game? Or I'm just going to, you know, lift and shift it straight away. That's what you want from every page, isn't it? Whether it's an equipment chapter, like you said, with a little bit of something or a quote or a bit of text or background or exposition. You want every chapter or every page or every paragraph even to have some kind of cool gameable idea or something you can throw at your players as a bit of scene. Mm. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, largely, mate. I mean, you remember this, but way back, speaking of the 90s, I did um, used to do a lot of reviewing work for Valkyrie magazine. Mm. I used to get bundles and bundles of books thrown at me for that. Lots of Earth Dawn and Shadow Run stuff. Lots of stuff from the old FSA FASA Corporation when they were good. Uh, <laughs> that's other stuff too. And, and when you when you're like forced to review gaming books, oh, it can be a bit of a slog sometimes. You know, first world problems, but it can be a bit of a slog. But yeah. at the end, at the end of most of that process, I always came away with like my mantra was that game books should do one of two things. Uh, and best is if they can do both and that should be either they give you really cool ideas so that you don't have to or and or they do all the donkey work that's involved in preparing a game so that might be just providing you with stats for the merchant or a hundred first names whatever it is so that you're getting utility out of that book whether that be the sweat of preparing stuff or whether that be the inspiration to make you go and riff off stuff. So I was always looking for those two things. And and most stuff, if it does any of it, it will do one of those at the expense of another, which is always a bit of a shame. So you could get stuff like a, a monster manual. That clearly does all the heavy lifting for you as far as stats and the rest of it. But some of them have been bone dry. Um, the first monster manual for fourth edition D&D was exactly that it was just a massive like Haynes car manual for monsters <laughs> very very useful and it saved you doing it yourself but it, it, you wouldn't flick through that and think because of this creature and a cool piece of art and a cool piece of text and maybe a little bit of fiction that doesn't make me want to build a scenario around it so there was no inspiration in there and I suppose when you've done three previous editions plus all the other editions how many ways can you describe a beholder so i'll give them a pass for that but then there are other books which are just raw inspiration they're just full of madness that makes you want to go and do stuff uh i think of an example would be something like over the edge it's just like it's, it's not a massive book but every page in it is just dripping with cool stuff but it can't really back it up with you you get the players together start them here this is what you do it's no. it's it's so much inspiration it, it it still leaves you with an awful lot of work to do with with a pen and paper bit of preparation and uh, people will hopefully comment and say it's an improvisational game well i didn't really buy it i didn't really know where to start a lot of the time and, and it's just an example of that sort of inspiration heavy game so i suppose i'm always looking for a bit of a balance and and when you get it i, I do think it's quite rare um, and I am genuinely struggling to think of recent books that have really hit that balance. For me, it's 13th Age, and I can't think of many others. What, what have you got modern, mate, since, I, I don't know, the year 2000 that's, that's got that balance for you, if that's a balance you want? I'm, I'm like you, I'm struggling a little bit to find the example of where my sweet spot is with that kind of stuff, because the books I bought have either been massive, like telephone directories, uh, and I've lost interest, frankly. They're obviously not for me, because I can't maintain my focus. Or um, like some of the small press stuff's really good. Like we looked at Into the Odd recently and, and things like Fate Accelerated and one or two others. And they're great and have some good punch for kind of one-shots and doing some online games. But in terms of an extended campaign or something I want to you know play a lot, I don't think any of them really grasped me. Uh, and certainly felt like I still had to do all the heavy lifting in terms of making the adventure up or providing the sort of like inspiration that then my players could come in with story and all the rest of it. So... Finding that place where you get enough information to keep feeding in ideas, uh, and have a good set of like rules that aren't too heavy and all that kind of stuff as well. I, I do think it is quite hard. There seems to be a lot of people hacking things for hacking's sake, don't they, to get the rules just right, which is fine. Um, but what do people do about getting that inspiration there? If it's not just a, a list of tables with ideas on them, which I don't mind. You know that that character creation into the odds really good in terms of there's just cool stuff on there and you think well why has he got that and it gives you a bit of a hint about the setting and what the characters might be up to but I want more you know what I mean I think that's a good starting point and I could play two or three sessions quite happily um, but I think if I'm buying a gaming book or I start buying supplements and stuff what I want is that extra you know I don't want too much I want it to be all gameable and relevant which is you know 
me as a punter sat here going, me, 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 why aren't game designers giving me what I want, the bastards? Why are they producing books for the, the general public? But still, I want stuff that I can do. I certainly don't want things like... Um, what was it? God, another White Wolf thing. It was the kind of uh, Exalted. That's oh, must yeah. be on its yeah, yeah. third or fourth iteration by now. And that that immediately sort of sprung as something that sounded cool, but not a lot of the source books backed it up. And there was one about Nexus, which is like this hub, funnily enough, of a, a town, the, the centre of all things. Uh, and there's these mysterious bodies that kind of ruled it. These, I don't know, a group of eight or however many there were. And you get to the gem bit to read all about it, and it goes, and these mysterious people could be whoever you want them to be. Mm. I just think, oh, fuck off. Like, I can do that without spending 15 quid on your book, thanks very much. Mm. What I want you to do is go, here's some options for what they could be, if you're not going to tell me you know, directly this is exactly what they are. So, uh, yeah, I can't think of an example. I can think of a lot of examples that aren't giving me what I want in, in many ways, or that give me part of what I want. But mm. uh, I still feel, in today's market, it feels a little bit like because of all the... OSR and you know people hacking things and people taking other systems that you know nothing to do with the OSR movement but people just taking any old system or doing anything for fate that you can think of or you know I use Savage Worlds for just about any set you can think of it seems to be a lot of stuff these days about finding the sort of system and how you want to play is one thing and then mm. the actual material you come up with tends to be a bit of you know self-serve you've got to kind of either go and dig for it or you've got to pick another game line that's got a setting you like but don't really like the system maybe I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I mean, don't forget, I, I think like if we go right back to the start of the hobby, when you had your D&D and not much else, and you had your Traveller, if you wanted science fiction-flavoured games and not much else, they didn't come with a setting. And that seems like a strange thing to say all these, all these years later. D&D doesn't have a setting, neither does Traveller. They've got implied stuff going on, which is going to flavour any setting you wanted to do. Um, and, and and both of them have generated loads of setting material since clearly, but it was a it was a hop skip and a jump from there. And then you know RuneQuest came along and brought its setting with it of Garantha, and not many people looked back from there. And I think probably up until quite recently, with the whole hacking from an on, it was rare to just be presented with a game system. And uh, those that did were, were, were funnily enough, with D20, so, you know, back into D&D land again. And I suppose that there was GURPS for a little while. That was kind of like the poster child for just the system. But it wasn't always the case that a half your book had to be setting. And, and in the 90s, it was impossible to move for games that didn't have huge settings. And Deadlands, uh, it was, I guess, a prime example of that, wasn't it? That was really yeah. good. For fiction and stuff, because luckily I quite liked it, and it was done in a, in a kind of a campy way. And and Shadowrun is another example of just huge amounts of, of, of supplements and setting. I won't even call it bloat because if you enjoyed it, it wasn't bloat. It was just more goodness, wasn't it? Mm. Um, but you know, when when was the last time a a big trad book like that got published to acclaim? Probably Simbaroom, actually. Um, yeah, love that. that's quite similar it seems old fashioned in that way now um, and another one I jumped in on PDF really recently uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord if you know that one it's I've by, heard the name yeah it's by Rob Schwalb forgive me if I pronounced it wrong Rob um, Rob's done loads of stuff in the past for Green Ronin notably um, and he was part of the design team for 5th edition D&D back in the early days when it was being play tested and it's his version of his personal take on fantasy gaming, but it's really dark and gritty too, and apocalyptic. And I, I don't think it's unfair to say it's it's a D twenty variant, very variant that's mixed in with the classic Warhammer stuff from the first edition. Yeah, and it's got great ideas and great art. And you read the back of the book or the back of the PDF, and you think, yeah, cool. But it it just runs off down that old trail of well, here's half a page on how to do a charge, and this is what happens when you try to do when you try to do a skill check because you failed the first one, and this is what an opposed check looks like, and this is how long it takes you to get out of chainmail. And I and I remember I was listening to this podcast, Ken and Robin, which is really good, and I think Ken Height said. Uh, as he does really cool thing he said when he was reviewing games back in the 90s it was like reading recipe books where the first third of each one told you about flour and that's yeah. what it that's that's kind of what it sometimes feels like with books it's like 
I know this stuff and you know that I know this stuff. You're writing it because you feel you have to write down that thing about yeah, about perception checks. It kind of doesn't matter. And why is there still two pages on about, hi, if you're new to role-playing, read this. Nobody is new to role-playing and picking up Shadow of the Demon Lord. They're just, they're not. <laughs> no one is picking up Simba Room and thinking, I wonder what this is. I'll tell you what, I'll just idly drop 30 quid on it and see if my mates would be interested. It just isn't happening. So, you know, put that on the website if you have to. Books should, role-playing books should stop being the player's handbook from 1979. They didn't need to be that after 1979. And it's incredible how this template still survives. And whenever anybody tries anything different, like Big White Book Nobilis, which was square, or White Hack, which doesn't have any art in it, people go mad. It's like that someone's trampling on their hobby. So get with the program, try something different. Yeah, quite. Well, to go back a little way, um, like Traveller, when it first started, that you mentioned and said it didn't have a satin, I didn't know what to do with it. No. I remember distinctly trying to run it. Uh, and I had a couple of guys at school who was playing with it. The one guy was very generous and said, "Like, yeah, this is cool." When I said, "This is just rubbish, isn't it?" Like, and and it was sort of like a self criticism myself because I felt like I wasn't getting it or I didn't know what to do because I didn't know what to do because the book told me about how to hit someone with a cutlass, but not exactly what new worlds look like or anything like this. And the other guy was just like, "Yeah, it is a bit rubbish," and we kind of abandoned it a bit. It wasn't until later I came back to it, but so I still think a bit of setting or something like the the key part you need from your book still, and we mentioned this about a lot of games, is you need to know what to do as players. Like If you can't read the first few pages and have an idea about what your players are going to do in that game, then it's kind of failing its mission, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, And I think there are quite a lot of the bigger books that you, men- you mentioned, sort of Simbaroon, but if you look at Mutant Chronicles or Iron Kingdoms RPG, all the rest of it, like Iron Kingdoms, for God's sake, that's a brilliant setting. Uh, mm-hmm. War Machine is an awesome game. And uh, that was just dripping with cool stuff. And then they made a really boring role-playing game out of it. And I don't know how they managed it, because they just have this amazing setting, tons of gorgeous art, a great wealth of already back, you know background already piled up, this massive conflict going on. Warjacks, for God's sake. And somehow they made a really boring book out of it. And I don't know how they managed it. So I think people still do feel this need to write massive settings or loads of stuff, thinking that's what people want in terms of page count. I don't know, I, I think... Really, for me, it comes down to content again. You can write a 400-page book if you want, if those 400 pages all have cool ideas on them or adding something, or, you know, maybe modular, see how you can read a little bit of a section at a time and don't have to read lots of it. But the worry is, when you get a big, fat book of that nature, is that you might be missing something. You can't help thinking, if you start skipping three pages, there'll be some crucial details or some insider knowledge or some something like foreshadowing or something setting you for later that you've just missed because you've skipped past, yeah. I think. Uh, and, and so you want, I don't know, I say you to the to the listenership when I mean me, <laughs> what, what I, want. <laughs> I, I want. I want cool stuff, but it needs to be, um, I think we need to answer that question, don't we? And it might be it might be the rules, it might be a short story, it might be a bit of history, it might be a sample adventure, it could be whatever it was, but you will need to know uh, what you do as players. And I think another game I can give an example that's quite bad at this, which seemed cool, was in Nominee. Mm. All about angels and demons. It came in two different books in hardback. One was black with an upside down cross on it in uh, metallic red. And one was pure white with a golden cross on the front. Guess which one me and Pete got? It was different yeah. ones. Um, but we loved them. You know, It seemed great. But both of us sat down after reading through them and going, but what do you do? Mm. And I think that question really needs to be answered first and foremost my role playing book. Well, funnily enough, I, I, I agree with that. I think core activity, they call it, don't they? And and one of my favourite games or game lines is Deadlands and Deadlands Hell on Earth and Deadlands Lost Colony. Great read. Uh, mechanics were kind of all over the place, but you just play it these days with Savage and it's still great gaming fodder. But actually, what do you do? I struggled to get a bunch of cowboys together in Deadlands and think of something to do. And I've watched a million cowboy films. It always ends up The Magnificent Seven. Arguably, what's the problem? Just start every game like that. Yeah. It'll be fine. Um, but I see it all the time, mate, the same as you do, even in games that I really enjoy. I, I could sometimes get past that. And I think once you're a few sessions in, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But traveller games, uh, to go back to that, are kind of notorious for turning into uh, space trucking haulage games. Yeah, even if 
<laughs> yeah, even if you didn't really want to do that. Because you have actually got the entire universe to play with, so surely no story is off the table. Uh, but no matter what you start playing, you end up shipping spices from one planet to another and trying to turn them yeah. into credit. And I don't really know why why that happens. That's, that I think that's a bit of a shame. And I think games could be better at their core activity. What I would suggest, and in fact I'll do more than suggest, I'm writing it now. So here's a plug for something I'm doing. I'm putting together a, a hacked fantasy heartbreaker because. Why not? Everyone else is doing it. And my book is not going to have setting in it at all. What it's going to have in it is a structure. And it's the, it may be a, a subtle difference, but I'm not doing pages on continents, rivers, kingdoms, places, factions, etc. What I'm doing instead is loads and loads of things to do and who does it and how to get it done. So it's going to lean really heavily on the kind of activities that party of adventurers do and the support to answer questions when parties do the things they do as to what happens next rather than uh, I've got an adventuring party of murder hobos or whatever to keep it really generic and the GM is presented with the rough guide to generica fantasy land <laughs> so how does that answer the questions that the adventuring party is going to have about where do I hide the bodies and how do I get new armor and it, and it, you don't need just like a list of armor smiths that's not enough you need to have like some core structure to support the gameplay and i think that's where settings kind of made a mistake is that they were just bad fantasy novels or bad science fiction novels or bad horror novels there's enough bad novels out there if you want to just grab savage world's explorers edition and your favorite book you've got you've got a game if you want to play it that way I think what role playing games need is more stuff to do not just stuff to be a tourist of should uh, a role playing book well I know, the, I know the answer to the question should a role playing book have a sample adventure in the back because the answer is yes isn't it but um, should you know if you've got a big fat book that's 400 pages or whatever should 200 pages of those be a campaign and some sample adventures and stuff like that Yes, I know I'd certainly in, in many books I'd have preferred that if yeah. uh, you know Legend of the Five Red Rings had a you know an eight part campaign in the back rather than a lot of the history, then that'd be superb. It'd be an awesome book. Well, what if Legend of the Five Rings was a giant campaign and it wasn't anything else at all? It was a set of scenarios, and maybe you wouldn't use every scenario. Maybe it would done like a tree campaign or you know branching whatever. But your first scenario, like it is in Fate games, is generating your characters, which in Fate is part of gameplay. And and in old games like Cyber Generation, that was your first sit-down scenario, which you would be coming up with your character. So, you know, at a point ten minutes in, if you tried to lift something, your GM would facilitate that and say, oh, cool, sounds like you're actually making a decision about how strong you are at this point. So now do that, everybody. So you could do that, but in Legend of the Five Rings, you could just forget okay everybody I, I want a GM Legend of Five Rings I'll be back in a couple of weeks when I've read it right that's that's the first thing and hmm. and then you might not read it all and you'll probably go on the internet and ask for a bit of advice then you're looking for some adventure or some adventure ideas then you've got to get everybody together and help them do their characters and you might get some ideas out of that and say well let, let's start properly next week or the week after once I've thought about your, your backgrounds and then you, as a GM, you're left flicking through a 300-page glossy book with a notebook in your other hand, thinking, I'm going to jot down some stuff as it appeals to me. That seems like a really inefficient way to get gaming <laughs> yeah. going. It's like the worst plan ever for playing a game, and, and no wonder people pick up board games and, uh, and, and you know play like Pandemic Legacy for six months. Because they're not lazy, but they just want to get some gaming in. Yeah. It's an enormous effort. And I think, I think the hobby, the hobby has got to a, such a mature state now that sometimes people still buy into this. And uh, your Vampire Twentieth Year Anniversary Edition is now five hundred pages long, or something like that. Certainly, the major <laughs> one was. It's like, yeah. couldn't you, after twenty years, distill it and get it down to like half the size it was? Because now yeah. you can edit it and make it a remix and, and make it really pop. But no, people still want to have these things on their shelves. I, look, I guess it's just personal preference, but I don't think there are many 
who have really tried to just make a game really playable except perhaps some of that stuff in the OSR which just looks like a pamphlet full of playability and I love it for that yeah well like Cthulhu 7th is a bit of a it's still a bit of a beast bless it mm. but I know that uh, Mike and Paul definitely wanted to get some of the gumph out of the way you know do you really need the attract fish spell and things like that you know, they did look at it and sort of think what do we actually need to impart and what can we get out of there so I know that's it still feels like an old classic book because it is a big fatty, and you know it's one of those kickstarters where people want page count for money. Mm. But they did do a, you know a, an, an attempt at sort of cutting down some of the bloats because the previous six editions were just starting the first edition and adding bits on, and that carried on for you know half a dozen editions before someone mm. finally said, "Look, we're just adding stuff for the sake of it now. What do we actually need to know in our book?" So I think there are some attempts at that. Whether they go far enough, uh, you know, I'd argue you could go further and get. I agree with you. We, we could do with getting some distillation from all these kind of reboots and resets of, of games. It'd be nice to sort of cut out down to basics. Because um, one thing you do get, and this is something which I sort of appreciate in many ways, things like Fate Accelerated, but also for Savage Worlds, you tend to have a test drive mm-hmm. set of rules or, you know, a light version of GURPS or that kind of thing. So I do like that kind of taster almost where it gives you uh, the rules or the ones you'll need for this adventure, a little adventure, some pre-gen characters, and says, have a go at this game. That's quite good. I think it's probably the transition piece then to full fat, which can sometimes be a bit of a jump. That Mm. seems to be a lot of extra wordage in the full rule book for not as much benefit. You seem to get quite a lot of good benefit from a test drive set of rules early with an adventure and some characters, uh, and probably lose a little bit when you go up to a 400-page hardback on the back of it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking as well, and, and I've not played, but I know that Call of Cthulhu 7th had a quick start for it, as opposed to a kickstart. I don't think you're allowed to say kickstart. And without, <laughs> without, without, without people twitching. Yeah, making some sacrifices. Uh, but the quick start was exactly as you say, isn't it? I, and I think, are they still using the haunting in that? Did that go? I don't know. But they had a quick start adventure, plus characters, plus enough to play. Delta Green's another example, speaking of mm. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, freely available, really good quick start that actually has the game in it. It is, as far as I could tell, a completely functional game, plus scenario, plus characters. I why don't more people do that? And in fact, they could charge for it because a lot of the stuff we've just talked about is freebie. Yeah. Really, I, I suppose shouldn't grumble. Um, but I think you know to get to get playing really quickly is is something that games have lost along the way. It, it's really struck me over the last couple of months how how ungame ready I am if someone says to me at four o'clock in the afternoon, shall we play some games tonight? You would think, given the collection I have and the experience I have, I should be able to go pick one of these hundred. It will be ready in the next three hours. It's actually really difficult. I'd have to go and do loads more reading, sometimes catch up reading. Uh, there's a couple of stuff I could pull out of my back pocket, but I'd have to go scrabbling around. I hope to find some pre-gen somewhere. Be printing stuff off the internet, hurriedly roping around. Unless we're doing one of those GMless games or something that's improv heavy, but even then I'd have to go and read up on it again. It's actually really difficult. And I don't think it was always that way. I definitely remember at school being able to run D&D at the drop of a hat, being able to run Traveller at the drop of a hat, especially when you had all those like 101,001 patrons books and things mm. like that to hand. And I could probably do it with old school D&D right now, but then I'd be obsessing about which particular hack to use and I wouldn't actually get anywhere. I, I still think it's remarkably difficult to get a game going in less than a few hours. don't know. Can you do it, guys? Have you got stuff in your head or stuff on your shelf that you could you could play tomorrow? Oh, yeah. I'm much fit. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I couldn't get someone to just pick a game off the shelf and I'd run it. That's that's a different story altogether. Right. Um but I can run, you know, like Pendragon, Savage Worlds, Hot Water. There's probably like a few more like that that I can just I could definitely get something together quite easily. Mm. Part of that comes from probably running them quite regularly at conventions, even if it's only once or twice a year or something like that, just keeping your toying and and knowing how to run them and they're of a sufficient complexity that you can keep most of the stuff in your head, hmm. if you know what I mean. Um, a more difficult one is something like the One Ring, which I think is a brilliant game and has lots of nice little subsystems to it. But I can remember most of that to run, but you always feel like you're potentially missing something 
or you know there's a rule for something and you can't remember what it is and it is somewhere and it's probably quite important because the subsystems are all like built quite tightly so yeah. if you're missing out hazards for example in journeys then you're missing a big part of it you need to know how they work and that sort of thing so I think I've narrowed it down to a few games which I'm good at and then others which I would like to say I need to do some proper research and it'd probably more be a, me a worry you know me worrying about not doing it right or not mm. you know presenting the game as it's supposed to be rather than it being a bad session necessarily but yeah it depends on the complexity of the game I think a little bit as well and what what bells and whistles you want to include because a lot of people seem perfectly happy just playing a game and getting a rough flavor of it to be honest from mm. what I've experienced at conventions but perhaps then as a, to sort of bring it back to the the initial question about what do you want from your your gaming book should there be then an adequate summary, bullet point list, uh, cheat sheet, something like that, so you could, you know, on a page of A4, you've basically got all the bits you need to know, so that when you get asked questions about how do I shoot more than one person at once, or can I give my friend an assist on this, mm-hmm. you've just got it to hand, you don't need to dig through pages to find it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my ever-growing list of where role-playing went wrong, uh, I've, got, I've got on there when people decided that GM screens were a bad idea. Um, I, have some, I have some sympathy for that view. I, I get it, but you know you can still get all the benefits of a GM screen by physically laying it down on the table, putting your notes on top of it. It really wasn't that difficult, you know. I get the idea that a barrier between you and the players is is not always conducive to good gaming and fine, but it's like games stop doing GM screen, and they also stop putting together like those handy reference tables that you actually bloody need to play. Yeah. And, it, and it wasn't always good it is, this isn't a case of back in the day it was brilliant and now it's rubbish, far from it I played Redbox Basic D&D last week for the first time in absolutely ages a game I thought I had completely internalised plenty of charts, stuff like that it's a 64 page book, it's got everything in it monsters, characters, all of that stuff and people always bang on about how easy it is and intuitive and really good processes and just follow the charts and you'll get a game it's all over the bloody place you have a monster stat in one place, which is probably fair enough, but then you have the attack chart in a different place, you have the spells in another place, you have all of the stats in a different place. I ended up putting like three fingers in the rule book at various points and was constantly flipping backwards and forwards between them. It was a pig to reference. And one of the first things I do with any game now is open up a Google Doc and start making notes. Yeah. And, and kind of building my own little cheat sheet of a game. And this is nonsense. This is another barrier to play because if you've got to study your 300-page book before you can even put together a character, let alone run it, do we have to like do homework on stuff before we can have our entertainment? That's like that's like reading Wikipedia before you watch the film to find out like, how it was all constructed <laughs> and what they did first. Just, no, yeah. that, that, that's that that's the wrong way, right. isn't it? Yeah. So I agree, mate. Get to the entertainment. You know, and and pull together really good things. What basic D and D does have is little six steps for building your character, and I kept going back to that. So that's all on one page. Um, if you're going to get to the crunchy bit of a game, and that's usually going to be fighting, isn't it? But it could be Ars Magica, so it could be maybe putting together spells and have that handy, um, because people often talk about rule books, but rule books don't often go to the gaming table, in my experience. They, they stay on the shelf at home. You bring your notes, your dice, your characters, your scenario bits and pieces, and you used to bring a GM screen. I don't really bring that big book to a game. People always say, like, oh, these things should be indexed so you can look stuff up. In all my decades of playing games at conventions, I don't think I've ever seen anyone look up a rule, apart from one particularly bad werewolf game, which we, we won't talk about. But, <laughs> but people don't a lot do looking, that. Yeah. Do you do that, mate? Do you bring your copy of hot water the table and reference it i bring it i can't remember referencing it um the one i have done probably is um savage worlds they do like a explorer's edition so it's like a little a5 journal size which is nice mm. so there's a the occasional thing about i don't really use fear rules necessarily that much but every now and again it turns up in a game and i need to remember what to do well more importantly it's because there's a chart on the table and i haven't memorized the 20 entries so i need that yeah. chart and that sort of thing but as you say, that could be a GM insert for for your uh, your GM screen or something like that, which is a good thing that Pinnacle do do actually with all their games. They charge you some money for it, obviously, but um, they do GM inserts because they've got that PVC screen that you can slot your pages into rather than just being a printed bit of cardboard. Mm. Um, and they'll, they'll do 
for that game, the inserts, they'll have some nice art on them and they'll have the relevant tables for that particular setting. Um, it's a bit kind of redundant for a lot of it because you get the same tables you get in all the settings. Um, but it is nice that that, that kind of summation is done for you. So if you're in a horror setting, you will have the fear chart handy. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do look occasionally for a little bit. Certainly Pendragon, I've done it a little bit as well. But you tend to find you don't want to break the game up too much, do you? You don't want to be spending a lot of time looking through for the rules. You end up kind of making a, a rule of thumb, really, to keep the flow of the session going, or I found. Mm. Um, but then, on the other hand, if you look at something like the Pathfinder Society, for example, um, mm. certainly Conception, when that was going, they'd turn up with, like, you know, sack trolleys with just piled high with boxes of books. And they'd all have them. They'd all have all the books that were relevant to their character and have them around the table and reference them all to make sure they all got it right because it was kind of a, what's the word for it? Not an overviewed game, but you were kind of taking a character from one session to the next and everything had to be correct and right and done properly. So, you know, and you're sort of playing for tournament points and that sort of thing. So you wanted to make sure that the GM's rule was correct as well and he wasn't doing you over in some way or cheating you. So I suppose it depends how seriously you take your rules and the format you're playing. But yeah, I for most like for the big book games, I just look at a four hundred page book. I think I'm not carrying that around the convention. You can sit down. I'll write my own little notes. Yeah, yeah, I, I I tend to do that now, and and I do sort of like just crib stuff off a game. So there's been a few games I've been reading through recently and trying to prep. We've got Continuum coming up. I'm running three yeah. different games at that. Um, at one stage, I was thinking, "This is madness. Why don't I just run one system and three different scenarios? <laughs> that will, you know, cut my work down massively." Yeah. So, there. I'm trying to get game ready for three different games, and they are very different games. As well, I've got uh, Into the Odd, um, which I confidently think I can print off a couple of sheets and run from that. That's not exactly rules intensive. Uh, well, actually, it is. It's full of rules. It's not got much else in it but rules. But it's something that, you know, I'm not going to have to reference very much. Um, I'm doing Icons, which is uh, a fake game. Probably a little bit more complex than Accelerated. So, you know, I'm having to do a bit of work on that. And that doesn't give me much in the way of reference sheets. And I feel like I have got to print off a bunch of stuff and do a bit of study and a bit of learning. Um, and I'm doing 13th Age, which I love. But it is a beast to put together really good character sheets that actually give... Uh, potentially new players a fighting chance at comprehending it yeah in a way that they can just go and role play rather than do a bit of pre-study themselves so you know three very different games and it is it is reasonably intensive trying to get ready for these things that goes back to my whole you know i, I can't play a game tonight of any of those things because yeah. i need to get characters done figure out scenario refresh my memory because i've got to be the teacher as much as the gm Sure. Which takes us all the way back to the first thing you said, what do you want from a book? It's got to it's got to work for me because I'm the person who sells it to the gaming group. And you'd be the same and all of us mm. as GMs and purchasers of books are in that position. Whether it's an adventure, whether it's a source book, whether it's a big old new game, we are the ones who sell it to the players because it's rare that a player goes, please would you run for me Call of Cthulhu 7th? And then I'll dash off to the shop and get it. It just doesn't work that way. It's, <laughs> I've bought Call of Cthulhu 7th. Who wants to play it? I think it's really good and I've got some great ideas for scenarios. So if it, if it doesn't convince me early, no one else is going to get convinced. Yeah, that's very true. I agree. Um, you mentioned character sheets and stuff like that. Then They're nice, aren't they? <laughs> That'd be a nice thing to have in your book. Or, or available. <laughs> or, or importantly, and I think this is the, the key thing, because... All games tend to get character sheets in a letter anyway, even if it's a PDF after the event, is they should be useful. Do you know what I mean? I've seen too many sheets that have just got every stat you can think of splashed on there and loads of rolls, uh, loads of rolls even for skills or that sort of thing. And they're just a little bit incomprehensible sometimes. There's some beautiful ones that fans have made, but they don't make any sense. Mm. It'd be good to see in my role-playing book, whatever it is, uh, a good functional character sheet, which guides me to the sort of bits that are interesting and important, you know. Maybe have bigger numbers or boxes for the things that I'm going to use most, or put them more prominently on the page, or that kind of thing, you know. Mm. There's weird things you can get sometimes where they've kind of got half weapon stats on the front and half on the back, or that kind of odd behaviour, you know what I mean? Where, like, just... Think about functionally how you'll use it. I thought just I'm convinced some of these don't get playtested. I'm sure at playtest stage, people just got pieces of A4 and have written some stuff on them, and then the character sheet comes later. 
I'd love to see them actually use as artifacts and say, does this work for you? Much like I do at work with, you know, writing new screens in Apex for my finance users to put through the company accounts or whatever else. You kind of try and think of what they want and then let somebody have a go at it. Say, can you find all the buttons you need to press and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. I think I'd like to see a bit more of that out of character sheets. If being well, the demanding punter as I have been all the whole hour. Yeah, but you've got every right to be because yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, you know, role-playing books are money and they need to be good and they need they certainly need to have more of a balance, I think, of utility and aesthetic and all of that kind of stuff because they are trying to serve an awful lot of different masters. They're trying to instruct people on how to play the game. They're trying to be inspirational at the same time and they're trying to be a reference work, which is three very distinct skills from any work of art and I do get that but we've been trying for a very very long time with gaming books and and actually the technology of a book released last week looks kind of similar to how it was in the late 70s so I don't think it's moved that far forward and and character sheets is is, as you say a prime example because I think the the error that's often made is that they're set up as worksheets so they're full of the calculations that you need to reach a number but at the table you just need to know the final number mm. um, you know third edition D&D the D20 game uh, it was a killer for that because you had to work out what your uh, what your various armor classes were whether you were flat footed or just to be you know just to get touched um, and they all worked out slightly differently but every character sheet had all the little boxes and then a plus symbol and then another box and then an equals yeah. and then a big yeah. box at the end just give me the big box because yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's all you need Quite. You, know? yeah. you can have all of that stuff on rough paper you can even have character worksheets I can't believe I'm asking for those but separate it out so the thing you bring to the table is just what you need to play as a con GM I can't remember the last time I used a character sheet that was from the book we all go off and do our own things because we try and put a bit more tuition into it and strip stuff out that doesn't matter um, yeah. maybe put some pictures in there and it's you know the best we've managed is form fillable PDFs and fan work well why aren't the designers putting loads of variants in their books there are some great ones why aren't the games going back to that situation like even Torg had back in the 90s wow. where it had like 50 player characters in it all statted out because it was from all over crazy bits of the universe I remember photocopying them and having a bundle of 50 potential archetypes I could drop on the table and go pick one. And it yeah. was everything from Nazi werewolf to, to flying ace to like man made out of rubber. I remember there was millions of them, but they'd done the hard work for me. Mm. But now I look at relatively recent books and it's 200 pages on creating your character, Shadow of the Demon Lord, hello, I'm looking at you. And it's got some nice innovations in it, but it's still that so that I can laboriously fill out a character sheet and do you know what doing characters for a new game is actually an effort it's hard it's quite good fun once you've got good at it yeah. and you can make up loads of characters and knock up another six and have fun doing that but learning it is, is a beast give me pre-gens give me adventures cut out all your encyclopedic knowledge of rivers I don't care let's <laughs> play games so, um, what about artwork and things like that? Then you know we, we want to pretty up character sheets, don't we? I'm sort of tying in with your saying that the character thing that if you look at Deadlands and uh, the, all those kind of games that Pinnacle do, they very often have archetypes. So they'll have some statted up novice characters that you can use, and half the page will be the stats uh, with a bit of blurb, and half the page will be a cool image of a, yeah. a gunslinger or a, you know a robot hunter or whatever it happens to be. They just print off like a dozen of them and stick them on a convention table or in front of your home group, and people have three or four choices they want to be. You know that surely mm. that sort of stuff with the cool image is what draws players in as well. Once you've got excited about it, does that is that yeah. kind of like a, an extra consideration? Well, yeah, it is. It is, maybe, but I'm with you on this because Feng Shui is my favourite for mm. archetypes with really cool pictures, both first edition and and the latest second edition. Really good. Love all that stuff. Um, the original Star Wars game from West End Games. How can you go wrong with that? You can't anyway, but having pictures of Stormtroopers equals cool. Brilliant. The reason it works so well, though, is it's because art that hits the table. It goes in front of players. Whereas sometimes you see praises sung of rule books that have beautiful, washed-out, watercolory landscapes for the GM to look at. 
when they're looking at the section on the rivers. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's all very pretty, but it yeah. never comes to the table. I mean, Gaz, if you don't mind me saying, mate, you run a really good game over G+, where you use art to its advantage. Yeah, and you put up Thank some you. great imagery, yeah. because we've got to have something on the screen. And, and it makes sense, and, and it plays to the medium and all of that. But when you're sitting around the table, you have to pre-construct bling to make it really come to life. If you're going to leverage stuff like the great art, which is undeniably in Simbaroom or Shadows of Esteran, all of those games that are dripping with great art, Numenera would be another example. You have to do it yourself. You have to cut, paste, uh, go and steal photocopying services at work, do all of that just to build your game. So this goes back to the old you want me to do all the characters, all the prep, I still can't get a game ready for tonight, and I've also got to be a cottage industry of printing and publishing in order to make <laughs> it look cool at the table. Yeah. I think games should have, oh Christ, give me perforated sheets of this colour artwork that I can tear out, and there's like space on the back for me to scribble notes on and stuff. Yeah, I, I actually want to tear book, tear pages out of my books. Oh, and Horrified. <laughs> that will horrify people. I'd love to have box sets back, but they're too expensive. No one does that anymore. But they were full of them. Oh, they were good, weren't they? Yeah. That was one of the best mediums ever because you could drop your reference cards in there, your coloured cards, your bits of note, your dice, your pencils, slim little pamphlety books, including reference sheets. That was a great way of getting gameable product into people's hands. And it felt like a game because it was in a box. But now, and no one else will be able to see this, I'm idly waving Hackmaster Basic at Gaz which I'm ah. flogging on eBay because this basic game is 191 pages of close marked text and wow. sheets and this is the basic game enough I've had enough <laughs> I don't want it anymore <laughs> too, too much game for your book there yeah no I, I agree I think I, there are some people who are doing little packs like that selling the scenarios or the test drives or whatever and they give you little things you can print off but I would like to see more of it you know I think uh We've got an advantage now as an industry that we've got PDFs freely available on the internet. Or you know, mm. the cost to deliver to your customer is pretty small, and people will pay small amounts of money to get some decent content. So if you've got a big adventure pack for I don't know Beyond the Mountains of Madness or something of that nature, and you just wanted to get hold of some good forms for I don't know life insurance before you fly off to the Antarctic and some badges for things or whatever you know just mm. cool little stuff and a, a journal you're going to find in, a, in the first abandoned tent you get to over a, a long lost camp and that kind of thing you could knock some of that stuff up and then offer it to your uh, GMs because the players won't buy anything but you could offer it to your GMs you know at small amounts of money because you've already done all the work it'll be in your main book but to mm. make it in a medium which then they can print up at home and stick in front of people's noses if they want to I think that's a, an awesome opportunity. I'd like to see more people take advantage of it, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I would too. I mean, I think games publishers, they, they, they still, some are, some are really good. Uh, Pale Grain Press, they, they do a really good job with resources when you go to the website. There's loads of stuff you can get. To be fair, 13 pages dripping with pre-gen characters and fan stuff. And, and they're, they're kind of generous to their fans too. They let it happen. Um, stuff like Wizards of the Coast still not great at giving you the tools mm. you need to play D&D they've been better in the past, they've been worse it's still not quite got there if I wanted to really have a one shot solution to a game of D&D tonight I would probably pick up the Pathfinder beginner box that's a really good one, it's got tokens in it, it's got flip mats in it, it's got scenario that you can kind of read two minutes before you run it, it's it's all in magazine format. It's got colourful stuff that people see. It's it's a great box. Um, the wizard stuff, there is content. You can go and dig out adventures. You can now get characters off of that website fairly readily. <laughs> um, but it's still not terrific. And they're supposed to be the flagship of this kind of stuff. I would, I would If I were in-game publishing, I, I think I would have to put as much effort into making my game playable as I would publishable if that makes sense. And I, and I think that's there are still an awful lot of people punting out products because they know it's going to be read rather than played. Yeah. They've fallen, fallen perhaps for me, and it's it, it's all personal, like everything, Miss and it's just our opinion, isn't it? But my opinion is I want I want a game in my role-playing game. Give me yeah. something to play. Well, I think what I'd like to see, another thing, is a good antagonist. 
I'd like. Would you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in your basic book, even if you've not got an adventure, or especially if you do have uh, an evil villain or the vampire lord or just someone, an old employer, whatever it happens to be, some antagonist with his group of cronies uh, and a plan for why he's upset with the, with the players or that or the, not necessarily the players, the characters, sorry. Mm-hmm. But some some setup as to you know who this guy is, why there might be antagonism, and what sort of things he'll start doing in an escalating fashion, as kind of a seed, and then a sample adventure, and then you've got a good starting point for some adventures and making it personal for the players as well. I think uh, something like that, you know that's like um like a half baked adventure if you know what I mean, or something of that nature maybe something that gets you. Uh, Gives you the inspiration to start with, and gives you some setup, and gives you a good idea where to start from if you need to all this, or you're kind of struggling to think in this particular setting. What do I do? Um, but then gives you a bit of freedom as well to kind of flesh it out or add your own stuff in and that kind of thing. Certainly mm. thinking like you know the plot point adventures, Fifty Fathoms and stuff like that from uh, from Pinnacle, but maybe not that meaty. I think an initial rule book, if you've got a starting adventure, and then uh, some seeds for either a baddie organisation or an antagonist or maybe someone who, who could be an antagonist or a protagonist depending on which way it goes and what the party do mm. I think something like that would be good you know, a, a catalyst for gaming I think that's what I'd like to see Yeah, I th- and I think you can get that from some games but it's not all of the games A Shadow of the Demon Lord I've spoken about that a couple of times That that's actually I think the whole point of it is that, that everything is all, is pre-apocalyptic as in everything is just about to go wrong and there is yeah. a single big bad that all gets generated and that's your campaign and your campaign has a very, very finite time to run. I think it might be 10 or 11 sessions. It's something like that. That's the, that's your campaign. You can have another one afterwards if you like, but it's you're starting from fresh. But but all of those, mate, those are really cool ideas and, and that should be standard, shouldn't it? I mean, every game's got a great big list of antagonists, but it's asking the GM to like pick some and build it and and we keep getting given lego boxes and there was a time when that was great because i I wanted a lego box i wanted something that i could build myself and you know that was part of the fun but these days i'm slightly more interested heretical as it is to say in those kind of lego boxes that have a picture on the front and all the bits to make that picture (laughs) and (laughs) that'll get me thrown out of the role-playing club but that's kind of what i want and lady blackbird would be a great example of that. It's it's like one of those really cool little Lego boxes that makes you just a land speeder with Luke Skywalker in it, and it doesn't have any other figures. And but it could. But when you finish with it, you can chuck it in the box with all the other Lego sets you've got, and eventually you have got a massive thing to build stuff out of. I've, I've, I think we're about to earn an hour, aren't we? We're, we're getting that way out. So with you. Due to due to wrap up, yeah. You know, I haven't even asked my second question. I'll do that next week. Um, <laughs> So, have you got um, a good example of a game then, or you know, if if, you, if someone's going to start, well, not necessarily start role play. Let's assume we all know how to role play, but he wants to give someone yeah. a good game to play. Um, have you got an example of that, or even a Frankenstein's monster of various games you could nick a bit out of each to make a good one? Yeah, I, I, I've got the, my favourite game of recent years that has got me most of the way to that, and I don't think there's a perfect one. Uh, would be Thirteenth Age. Um, it's got so much going for it. it presses a lot of my personal buttons but some of the stuff I like about it is because it is doing things a little bit differently it doesn't get it all right uh, it relies on I think quite a lot of D&D knowledge just generally um, mm. and D20 knowledge specifically it doesn't really hold your hand through stuff um, the hack that I'm working on is, is essentially a more basic edition of that which which is funnily enough about putting more D&D back into it and making it more dungeon-y but making it quite process-y and and saying your adventure starts at the dungeon door Um, you know, what do you do and having answers for the GM to to say Um, but I really like its innovations which were to which were to provide a half-cooked setting much like those kind of half-baked loaves that you can buy in supermarkets where you put them in the oven for eight minutes but you feel like you've made it yourself so it's deliberately built with quite generic terms. So you've got like a um, you've got like an elven wood and a dwarven mountain and a dragon river, um, but it's got some really little cool pieces inside it, and it works with icons, which 
we could talk about it some other time. You know what they're about, but if you don't know what icons are about, they're kind of like the big players in, in your game. Uh, but you have so much say over how much of that you want to use and how much you want to interact with it and what's important to you. So it is like one of those technical Lego sets, to go back to that example, that builds a certain type of thing. So you know you're going to get a car out of it, but it provides you with 18 different wheels. But you know they're wheels. So there's like a chapter of wheels because you'll know you're going to need them. Yeah. And everything is designed asymmetrically. So the players get loads of stuff that players are interested in. The GM gets the stuff that the GM needs. And it's not trying to simulate anything. So the monsters don't have the same stats as the players because they don't need to have. Their job is to be around for three or four combat rounds. Hmm. And then the big villain monsters, they probably don't have stats either because their job is to frame the campaign and to be an antagonist. And why would you give them a dexterity score? Who cares? No one cares. Um, So maybe that's not particularly innovative. But as a set, I found it really inspiring. And the way it's written is in such an engaging way. It feels like the designers of the book are talking to you as a gamer. And at the point I picked up 13th Age, as will be everyone who ever picks it up, we are gamers, not, hey, this is a role-playing game you've just picked up. It's a bit like Cowboys and Indians, except with (laughs) dice. So that's my favourite, mate. What's yours? What have you got that, that you would use an example of something that was close enough to be good? Um, I'm going to take a slight departure then. I could I could mention several ones that we've already mentioned, actually, that have got good parts in them, but I think we've not given enough love to kind of indie games because we've gone a little bit tried tonight, haven't we? We've talked about yeah, sort of yeah, generic yeah. you know, games, you know what I mean. A lot of the smaller press ones tend to be about a specific um, scenario or a short run of games you're going to play. I think a good one, and it's, it's something that I use often, but Hot War, I think, is a really good example of our good book, well thought out. So you get your rules, they're quite simple and straightforward, they're well explained, there's examples. There's good background to it, which is just tantalising detail. It's probably like Glorantha was back in the day, when it didn't tell you enough, if you know what I mean. It told you enough mm-hmm. to be interesting, but didn't give you the full spiel. And a lot of that is delivered by uh, little bits of one-page A5 fiction, or by uh, posters about food rationing, or a picture of a monster, or like artefacts that you could sort of print off and use in the game if you wanted to. A picture of London Bridge all destroyed and all the rest of it. So a lot of the information you want about the look and feel and tone is actually delivered through gaming artifacts and pictures and quotes and stories rather than having you know lots of pages of background you have to consume and then try and make seem interesting for your players yourself. It's just all they're laid out. It's got good examples. It's got some tables of stuff. It's got summary sheets. It's got a nice little um, sort of character sheet that's quite basic but all you need for that particular game to be honest uh, and good examples of play uh, it just takes you through the whole thing quite nicely it's quite short to read uh, quite consumable uh, and it's obviously I think it's that sort of, sort of thing as well it's not written necessarily like you're a gamer but it is written by by gamers for gamers you can sort of tell that if you know what I mean mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like my my golf that I've got you know my car because it that's Volkswagens are basically cars for drivers you're sitting there and it feels like someone else who drives cars has made this car because they, they know what they want out of it and, and delivered that to you. And that's how Hot War feels for me. It's a little bit unusual in that what background there is really isn't the main story. The story comes from what agendas your players have and then resolving them. But it gives you the right amount of detail for what you want to do and uh, really clearly and wonderfully explains the rules and has the right level of examples and detail about them as well and supporting kind of handouts and and other things to sort of really make it shine. So that's probably my example of a a really good, neat game that you can get into. Cool. Okay, right, well, there's a couple of examples. I think you're right, mate. There's, um, you know, we've we've had a bit of... Well, I've had a bit of a moan. (laughs) (laughs) We're old now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. Uh, I don't don't want to be super down. It's just that... You know, is every time we see uh, another another piece of role play landfill hit drive through, I, 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 my heart sinks a little bit. Especially when I see people applaud it for being four hundred pages and full of art. Yeah, so I'm. Like, okay, that's nice. I'm mostly upset. <laughs> I'm mostly upset because I buy it. <laughs> well, I know. It's no, literal landfill in some cases. Yeah, but there, there is some there's some amazing stuff happening with formatting out there and and trying to get games delivered in in a, in a in a, in a more utility-based way, more inspirational stuff. I think it's happening in the 
story games world and has been for ages. I think it's happening in the new OSR movement and has been for ages because they didn't need to restate the rules again, which was one of the points of it. So it's that big middle ground that we, we I think we've been attacking a little bit today, really. But perhaps, you know, the other parts of the, the hobby are kind of crowding it out now. It's just, it's... Um, you don't necessarily see it getting getting the publicity that it needs at, at cons and so on. It's uh, you know the mainstream games are still playing it safe, perhaps, and, and I think perhaps that may be mainstream's job. Uh, but given the size of the hobby is what it is, is there any room for mainstream left in it? I, I'd argue that you know that kind of diversity and variety and trying new ideas could still happen, um, and it, it saddens me a little bit to see conservative takes on things. Boom. Yeah, I guess you're always going to get that, but um, that's just two old men's opinions sat in their respective homes. What about you out there, listeners? What do you want from your role-playing books? Have you got good examples? Could you make your own as a Frankenstein monster from various different books? Have you written your own? What do you want that's still missing from your role-playing games? Do let us know. Join us on the UK RPG forums. Speak to us on G+, or Facebook, or wherever else you can find us. We're always keen to hear your input and your questions and queries. And for tonight, that's all from me. And that's all from me. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.